So, um, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at Hebrews 11, just this one chapter. And I want to take you back uh, to the beginning of uh, the chapter to verse 1, which in many senses is the key verse of the passage. It's the one that kind of sets out the journey that we've been on. And that, that in verse 1 we read, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So nature of faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith has always been a mixture of now and not yet. There's always been that mixture about it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So to be the people of God, to be someone who has faith in God, is both to know things in the now that are often based in the past, but to look forward to the future and a sense that there is more to come. There is fulfillment to come. There are things that are going to be made clear one day that aren't yet clear now. And so in that sense, uh, faith is neither blind in the way that some people say it. So sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, if you have faith, essentially it's a, it's a blind leap into the abyss. It's founded on nothing. You just have to kind of reach out and trust that there is something there, even though all of your senses are telling you it's not. Faith isn't that. It's much more than that. But neither is faith at what, um, your, you know, what might be described as 2020 vision, where you see everything absolutely clearly, where you can see uh, all that there is to know about God, where you know all about what God's purposes are in the world, and that you never have to hope because you always know. So faith is neither of those things, and we find ourselves walking, living, breathing in between those two things. And of course, uh, we know that uh, we're all exercising faith every day. We all exercise faith in our relationships with other people. Uh, We have or don't have faith in our leaders, our institutions, uh, the organizations uh, that run uh, our country. And so because of our own human frailty and our own lack of knowledge, it means that all of us including atheists, are living by faith. We have faith. Uh, The question is, in who or in what do we place our faith? And a Christian would say, the foundation of my faith is multifaceted. It, It is based back in the past, in the sense that there are things that I can point to in history that show that God is the kind of God who wants to get his hands dirty, uh, to get involved, to be revealing uh, who God is in our world in a way that we as people can understand and touch and feel and know. But it's not just that. It's not just in the past, in the museum. It's in the present, in our experience as we worship God together, as we read his word, as we sit quietly and listen to it, as we attempt to serve him and to go out in his name in our world, we experience God there. We experience God in the testimony and the encouragement of other people. So important that we are therefore a community of faith in which we hold each other. We value in particular those who for a season are weak 
or excluded or feel isolated or who feel overwhelmed. So we do this in a community of faith. And so far, over these last four sessions, we've done a rush through some of the, in a sense, the big names of the Old Testament. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab. And the common ground that they have shared is courage. They have all had courage because they have been living and working in the present for God's future. And since they've had to say, I'm not going to live for my present, but I'm going to serve God in the present to help to bring in his future. Uh, often, arguably always, suffering derision and persecution and uncertainty for holding on to a trust in their unseen God in the present, in a society and a culture hostile to them. And now at the end of the chapter, we kind of gallop to a crescendo. Uh, and essentially what the author is doing, she or he, is, is populating a stadium for us. Uh, if you've um, ever watched on TV, some of you might have even done it. If you ever run a marathon at the Olympics, uh, you run all over the city, but then you come in, don't you, to the, to the stadium and you do that final lap around the stadium. That's the sort of picture we've got in mind here. Um, a, 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 a stadium populated by cheering onlookers who are cheering us on to live by faith. And we start in Hebrews 11.32, we start with six names. Now, some of them you will recognize. Some of them you, you sort of recognize, but you're not quite sure. So I'm just going to give you really basic outlines on the six. Uh, the first is Gideon. Now, Gideon was a nervous vacillating, reluctant soldier who eventually led his people to victory against overwhelming odds. But the thing that he says most often to God is, pardon me, Lord, and then goes on to point out to God why he's not the right person for the job. So not automatically a great example of faith because that's what he says over and over again. Pardon me, Lord. You can't possibly think it's me and took a lot of convincing uh, that it was. Then you get to Barak. Uh, Barak was also a nervy, reluctant leader. He didn't want to be a leader at all. And, and he knew in his own heart and mind that Deborah was the person that God had called to lead the Israelites at that particular uh, time. And, and he, he didn't want any part of this. But eventually God gets him to a place where he's happy to play his part uh, alongside and uh, it says with Deborah in the lead, he also has a part uh, to play and he eventually gets that. Samson, most of you have heard of. Samson, born of respectable, God-fearing parents, uh, a bit of a beast of a man, uh, to put it simply. His weakness, of course, a total disregard for women, a lust for sex. And yet, despite those clear, clear, clear flaws, he was still able to be part of saving his people at that tumultuous, terrifying era of Israelite history. Then you've got Jephthah. Now, Jephthah was the disinherited scoundrel who hung out with misfits. 
but he was a surprising hero in that he had surprising insights into God's purposes and God's ways. And he uh, contributed marvelously uh, to the life of the nation, but then ended equally dramatically badly. He he turned into a foolish legalist whose short-sighted and faithless vow uh, led him to take his own daughter's life. Uh, Hardly a great hero of the faith. Uh, Then you've got David, Israel's greatest king, a man of God, a poet, a warrior, adulterer, negligent father, murderer. A confusing man at the best of times. Hero, but went to zero uh, many times in his life. Samuel, Samuel's greatest uh, trial was to act responsibly and with dignity even when his godly and wise counsel went unheeded by the nation. And yet he was a man who never abandoned the simplicity of listening to God's voice. And those six named people are then followed by literally a whole host of others, too many to name. All acted courageously and faithfully and at great sacrifice. Some, the division is this, some saw God do wonderful things through their imperfect offers of faith. Others were killed or suffered deeply with no immediate or obvious results. It's probably Jeremiah in view who was the one who died by stoning and it's also probably Isaiah who was sawn in two. So What does this part of Hebrews 11 help us to see more clearly about the nature of Christian faith? Several things. Firstly, Christian faith happens when we act, when we do. Uh, If you read Hebrews 11 again, you will see that it's full of action words. They did this, they did that, they did this and the other. And they're mostly introduced uh, by the phrase, by faith. So by faith, Chris did this. By faith, Sue did that. By faith, Brian went on and did so-and-so. To do faith is to base our actions on both history and experience. To do faith is to walk humbly with God. Of course, in our culture, someone of faith tends to be thought of as someone either who's taken that blind leap into the dark, in a sense, who's just ignored all the scientific, uh, you know, in a sense, data, and has just decided, I'm going to step out into the unknown, or it's someone who knows things, in a sense, who has a religious uh, mindset or worldview. And what we really need in, in English is a, is a verb for faith because faith is something that we do and so we in English need to say something like do faith or exercise faith because that is how it's done I'd like you for a second just to look back over the last six months nine months twelve months whatever you want and and think about well what's been going on in your life can you think of one thing that you've done in the last six months that was primarily by faith, so that when we come to write the story of your life, we would say of this season, by faith, Sue did this, and whatever it is. Can you think of something? Something that was founded 
primarily on who God is and what he's promised and what he's called us to be in his world. It's something that wouldn't make sense to someone who doesn't love God, someone who doesn't pray for his kingdom. What you did by faith will be different to a neighbor or to a family member who doesn't have faith. So just take a moment now to to see if there is one action, one area of your life in, in which you would honestly say, well, it was by faith that I did this. It was by faith that I took that job or we moved to this place or we started doing this at church or we started to get to know our neighbors so we could invite them on an alpha. You know, whatever it is, is there a something that we can say in your life was by faith? Now, it, it might be too much to focus on that in the moment. And so maybe another question to ask is, is how is God, regardless of the last year, how is God inviting you to courageous faith? To act in a far-sighted, tenacious, hope-filled way. And it would be a way that shows that your real home and your real hope is in God. It's not in your house. It's not in your career. It's not in your status. It's not in what people say about you. But your hope, your treasure, your heart those things lie with God. So we exercise faith. We walk in faith. We do faith. And these saints of old have shown us what that means. The second thing we see here is that we are imperfect people who exercise our faith imperfectly and sporadically and sometimes if we're honest ingloriously we are not heroes of faith but here's the good news neither were Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah they weren't heroes of faith when we trust in God it is God it is God who generously and graciously takes our frail and feeble actions and breathes life into them you aren't a hero of faith but you don't need to be to love God and to serve him in his world thirdly faithful courageous God-fearing lives always attract criticism and rejection or mockery Sometimes they end badly, or, put it in a better way, they end without any obvious or immediate results for the kingdom. In our passage, in the end of Hebrews 11, we have Daniel surviving the lion's den with the king so struck by what's happened that he completely changes his mind. And we have Isaiah seemingly ending his prophetic career by being sawn in two. The difference was not that Daniel's faith was greater or deeper or more reverent or more informed than Isaiah's. That is not the difference between them. The difference between us as we exercise faith here in Winchester in 2023 and Christians in other parts of the world where the church is small and persecuted The difference is not, as you well know, that we have great faith 
and they don't have enough. It's probably the other way around. They were imperfect people, these people we read about, who dared to stake everything on their unseen God. They saw enough to say, I will stake a claim to serve God and to bring his kingdom in this world. And so that teaches us that our deepest area of reflection, both as a church and as people, is not, am I now doing remarkable things for God? The question is, am I being faithful? Am I being true in the way that I serve God in the here and now? And then lastly, the deepest reason that our writer lists uh, these Old Testament characters is because she or he is 100% certain that we, us lot, living today, are more blessed, are in a better position than they were. Not because of technology, because we live in the West, or because of improving living standards, but because we live after Jesus, whereas they lived before Jesus. We have Jesus as an example. We can read what he said in God's word and reflect on it and love it and be enthralled by it. They could not. We know the example and the commission that Jesus set for us. We know what he told us to do, to go out into the world, to love the poor, to serve our community, to preach the gospel, to call all people uh, to become disciples and to be baptized in his name. We have the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus to look back to as our center points of history. We have the spirit of Jesus living in us driving us forward, driving us to our knees. We are blessed because we live at a time where we have a far richer way to walk with God than they ever did. They obeyed and lived for God with far less to see or trust in or understand or experience regarding the purposes of God. They longed to see what we now see and know. We, standing the other side of Jesus, we can look back at what Jesus said and did. We can look up to Christ now as we worship him and receive from him. And we can look forward, knowing that he has gone to God's right hand and waits for us there to welcome us home. They could only see the faintest outline of what was to come. So the the whole point of this chapter is that these were people who acted with great faith and hope and yet could see far less than we see now. So our response to Hebrews 11 is not, wow, I could never live a life like that. Our response is not that, partly because these people were just ordinary compromised, reluctant, off-beam people just like us. But mostly, we don't read this and think, well, I couldn't live like that, because we have Jesus Christ. We are in a richer, better, deeper place. 
We have Jesus as our pioneer, as our trailblazer, as the one we go forward to. And so we thank God for these sisters and brothers in faith who went before us. But we're not intimidated by them. We're not overwhelmed by what they did. Instead, we redouble our resolve to live in the light of God's truth and his kingdom. Because we know where our real home is. We know where it is. And we know that we move forward to be with Christ. And so therefore we gladly walk together the sometimes straight, mostly twisty, on the whole foggy road of faith, cheered on by saints old and saints new. We're going to finish this time by looking together at the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. So if, if those could go up on the screen, please, Stuart, I think they should be uh, there waiting. Um, and these are uh, the first uh, three verses. And this is the best way to finish Hebrews 11 because that's what the author originally intended. So having heard all these stories, this is what we do uh, together. Let's read these words together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen.